Hi there and welcome to episode 8 of the Quasi Science Report. You're listening to Tanya Faber, I'm the Senior Science Reporter for the Sunday Times and Times Live. And this week we wade into a world of science that is often checked at the door of the science faculty and sent home for being too soft, but it's actually incredibly rich. I'm talking about social science and a year into the pandemic, it's crucial that we look at the minutiae of our everyday lives and ask ourselves what's changed and what hasn't. You know how we've all become expert epidemiologists overnight, poring over graphs and whatnot, but we'd do well to remember that there's a whole other change at play since this time last year, when we first went into lockdown. I was lucky enough to get some time with Prof. Lonipa Mokwena. Officially, she's a historian from the Witz Institute for Social and Economic Research. But more than that, Prof. Mokwena is always very insightful about the here and now, and how our worlds have shifted over the space of just a year. Those countries that have acted swiftly and dramatically have been far more effective in controlling the spread of the disease. As a consequence, the National Coronavirus Command Council has decided to enforce a nationwide lockdown for 21 days with effect from midnight on Thursday the 26th of March. When President Cyril Ramaphosa announced a year ago that we're going to lockdown for 21 days, it was so outside of the lives we were living that we could hardly imagine how it would feel. It was daunting, but it was also weirdly exciting for many people on some level. As it unfolded, we paused and considered how unnecessarily busy our lives normally were and how much time we spend each day in transit, whether it's in our own car or on public transport. We looked at how much air pollution we generate and many things like that. But as with what happens in a war, it soon faded to the cold reality of a lost world we took as normality, and one which was replaced by a different atmosphere in which we might have to fight for resources or livelihoods. I love how Prof Mokwena described this in our interview. And at the time, I was one of those people who tried to caution people that 21, 21 days was not going to be this festive. And I think a lot of people that thought that they were just going to have this festive 21 days off work, uh, making TikTok videos, uh, learning how to bake sourdough bread and, and, and having a great time. And as it became clear after 21 days that 21 days was the wrong guesstimation, I think that's when people's minds started shifting to other things. And the problem is that the things that most people's minds drifted to sometimes were not the most productive things. So as you've seen in the U.S., is that many people's minds drifted to how can we be disruptive and revolutionary and overthrow the state, as it were. Um, and other people's minds drifted to conspiracy theories. What's also really fascinating is how we've processed the events of the last year on a range of different levels, from the personal to the familial to the national and finally the global. But as Prof Mokwena sees it, the sense of camaraderie covers a thinly veiled and somewhat primal fight for survival. We all remember the moving footage of Italians singing in unison out their windows and candles lit in windows for frontline workers. And in my neighborhood, there was actually a vuvuzela blower who religiously 
made a sound for about five minutes at 8 p.m. every single night to honor the heroes. It went on for months and months, even after the levels of lockdown changed. But how does this sense of humanity measure up against vaccine greed, for example? Most people are now thinking, how can I be the first in line for whatever it is, whether it's a vaccine or a cure or some other uh, experimental treatment, how can I be the first in line um, for that treatment? And so what in fact should have been a moment of sort of creating a more global uh, response has actually now become almost the most individualistic and individualizing experience. So at some basic level, it looks like we're having a collective experience, but actually we're having a deeply individualizing and individualistic uh, experience in which it's literally like every man, every woman for themselves. But we are all pretending in some ways to be having a collective experience. But you can see from the way that people are behaving, people are short-tempered, people are having arguments at supermarkets, uh, people are threatening other people. The zeitgeist over the past year has also been characterized by the sense of getting our hands on that which can possibly save us. Prof McQuainer says the scientists had not factored this in, which only reinforces the notion that when we talk about science, especially during a pandemic, social science has to be part of the picture. You can have all the schedules and plans and stats laid out, but there's always the variable of how people are going to behave. So we are in a kind of almost talismanic panic in which everyone is seeking their own talisman. That if, if only I can have ginger, if only I can have ivermectin, if only I can have eucalyptus oil, then woo, I'm, I'm first in line to, to not be... To not, to not suffer the adverse effects of, of the pandemic. And I think that's the part that the scientists had not bargained on. That leads me to another thing that has really fascinated me, and that is vaccine nationalism that we've seen unfolding. The world has seen so many waves of nationalism over the past few centuries, and we've seen how political boundaries are defined and enforced, and then maybe they fall away, and then they're reinstated, and patriotism grows. But what also comes with it is a state promoting the interests of its own citizens. And that's often at the expense of others beyond the borders. But who could have guessed that the next wave of nationalism would emanate from a zoonotic disease and the resultant hunt for a vaccine? This is what Prof had to say about it. What the pandemic has done is that it has made us insular in ways that perhaps are anti-human, in, in my view, anti-human in general, but pro-citizenship. Uh, so all of us now are suddenly very aware of what city, which country we are a citizen of. You know, it's like, I'm a citizen of the United States, therefore, this is what I expect from the United States government. I'm a citizen of South Africa, therefore, this is what I expect from the South African. So it's more about not just nation and nationalism, but citizenship and the ways in which citizenship has become a passport for access to all of these other things that we are now expecting. We are expecting economic relief from our government. We are expecting our governments to give us answers as to whether or not our children should go to school, um, what education is going to look like, what other social services are going to look like. And that is creating a, almost like a, um, I, I use the term with a friend of mine, vaccine citizenship where sooner or later it's almost like our citizenship is going to be defined by whether or not 
we've got access to, to the vaccine. We'll take a short break now, but don't go away. When you come back, we'll be talking about the global dip in mental health and the world as a site of shared grief. And also, we'll be looking at what it means to be South African right now and how it makes different people feel. Hi, this is Steve Compella from Golden Arrows. If you thought I was a son of the soil, check the real soil. Just listen to Sports Live with BBK. They don't come any darker. The darker the berry, the sweeter the juice. Sports Live with BBK. Hi and welcome back. You're listening to episode 8 of the Crazy Science Report. We're talking about social science this time and the underbelly of what a year in a pandemic has meant for us. Not the stats and the deaths and the hospitalizations, but just everyday existence and how our minds have had to shift gear in such a short space of time. For Prof Mokwena, mental health is almost a secondary pandemic in itself and one which we ignore at our peril. We are at the tip of the iceberg of the psychological fallout. Um, I mean, I'm sure you've asked many doctors, either your own personal friends who are doctors or doctors that you're going to interview, but the number of people who are presenting themselves to doctors with depression and other mental health challenges, anxiety, panic attacks, you name it, has increased. Um, so what that means, again, is that there's strain being put on an already strained healthcare system. And again, this is happening all over the world. It's not just happening. I think the New York Times the other day had a headline which said something like pandemic anxiety sweeps through Europe or something like that. Where I mean, literally, we're going to have to come up with almost like a, a, a special category of, of illnesses that are caused by acts of God, as they, as they used to call them. I think nobody now would even want to call this pandemic, an act of God. Um, so a, a particular anxiety, because this is anxiety that cannot be, this, this is a, um, a, a anxiety that results from an event that cannot be controlled. None of us can control um, where the virus is going. I love how Prof Mokwena describes the way in which grief itself is transmitted across the globe. Social media has really cracked open every last vestige of us being able to ignore a tragic situation as an SCP, someone else's problem. We now all have a personal and permanent antenna that can pick up on events around the world in real time and break our hearts as if that fate has befallen someone in our own community. We are actually now living pretty much in a world of disaster whatever the disasters are, whether it's a mass shooting. I mean, we've had so many mass shootings. We've had so many natural disasters. We had 9-11. We had, and those should have been the warning that as human beings, we are no longer living in a, not that we've ever lived in that world, but now we are living in a world in which grief itself can be transmitted around the world. So in, this, in exactly the same way that news can be transmitted around the world, grief can be transmitted around the world quite instantaneously. And that many of us are actually not psychologically and emotionally prepared 
for that quote-unquote brave new world of globalized grief and globalized mourning and globalized death and globalized loss. We are not psychologically prepared. It's quite interesting to compare how the pandemic has affected different countries in the same way that it did or didn't affect them during the world wars. You know, if you look at the wars, some countries experienced unfathomable loss of life, while others experienced a dent in their economy. But particular to South Africa in this pandemic is the fact that the middle and upper classes have always been obsessed with immigration. It's just that now there's a sense that the grass certainly isn't greener elsewhere. Prof Mokwena says we're feeling lucky. Imagine that, we're feeling lucky, and that is not something you hear every day about South Africa. First time in, in the last 20 or 30 years, at least since the death of Nelson Mandela, South Africans are feeling lucky. A lot of middle-class South Africans are feeling lucky. Um, and they're not going to say it, but they are. They're looking at Europe and thinking, oh, those guys also couldn't afford the vaccine. So it's not just us. Um, they are looking at the United States and what happened on January 6th, and they're going, oh, at least we don't have those kinds of white people in South Africa. You know what I mean? So there's a lot of that kind of almost reverse, but it's really about the fact that there had already been a lot of disenchantment in South Africa caused by our, our inferiority complex. So I normally just notch it down to our inferiority complex, in which so many of us would much rather not be here. But we don't know where we would rather be, but we'd much rather not be here because it seems to be the worst place that you can be on earth. But actually, now many of us are quite thankful that we are in South Africa, partly because the African continent has not shown the kinds of numbers in terms of infection rates that people had expected. So we suddenly find ourselves in... I would say, the luckiest continent at the moment. So where do we go from here? I read something lately in National Geographic that really gave me the shivers. It said there's no guarantee that another zoonotic disease isn't brewing and won't jump to human beings at any minute, and it could be much worse than COVID. And that's not even to mention the other natural disasters on the cards from climate change. Listen what Prof Mokwena had to say. If, as human beings, we don't decide to learn the lesson that we can no longer afford this insularity, that insularity is actually the number one killer here, that we can no longer afford to respond to crisis by simply assuming that, oh, well, since I live in the United States, I'm in a better position, or if I live in the UK, I'm in a better position, or if I live in Europe, then the European Union will solve my problems. We are now, I think, in the phase of our existence as human beings where either we revive those old philosophical hopes for world peace, or we start basically to have a fund that is a crisis or um, emergency fund, a global emergency fund that is dedicated entirely towards dealing with these disasters. I think if we don't do that, this, that latter part, then the virus is simply going to continue to ravage the globe. I really hope you've enjoyed this foray into a world beyond viral transmissions and hospitalizations and deaths and all the other stats that we speak about so frequently. I often wonder how different generations will remember this first year of the pandemic 
and how the narrative will settle in their minds. But even more so, I wonder how we will all be feeling in March next year. You're listening to Tanya Faber from the Crazy Science Report with episode 8, and I look forward to our next journey of discovery together. Thanks for listening.